Well, this morning we are continuing our study through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And if, if you were here with us last week, I gave kind of a brief summary of what's happened in the story up until uh, chapter 23 that I just uh, read to you out loud. And at this point in the book, uh, David, who's the main character of 1 Samuel, is on the run and he's trying to escape from King Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And the Lord had anointed David to say, you're going to be the, the king who's going to replace Saul. And so now Saul wants to kill David. And so this, uh, this past week, I was, I was down in Mississippi. My, we were visiting a college and my son is, uh, is planning to attend next year. And we went down to Mississippi with a pastor friend of mine. And uh, I was looking at this passage and I wasn't really sure where to go with it. And I said, you preached on First Samuel. What did, what did you do with this passage? And so he said the thing that he focused on was the theme of waiting on the Lord. And the reason for that is because what's happening in the story is David has been, prom- he's been anointed to be the king, but he's not on the throne yet. He's actually, you know, trying to escape Saul, and he's in the wilderness, and so he's waiting for this thing that God is going to do in his life to happen, and yet there's all these, you know, twists and turns to the story that he didn't anticipate. And so I just think this is a great theme for us to focus on as a community, is the importance of waiting on the Lord. It's a huge part of the Christian life. And uh, my, my pastor friend, he began his sermon with a quote from John Webster, who's the late, the late theologian, uh, and writing about the topic of patience. This is what Webster says. Patience is the virtue in which we allow our lives to run their allotted course in their allotted time. As we experience patience, we let our lives and the lives of others follow the path which has been laid down for them without railing against the constraints uh, which that imposes on us. Patience is the virtue of waiting. And what's always impressed me about the Lord is how methodical and patient the Lord is in his plans unfolding. I mean, you think about God's kingdom. It's been 2,000 years since, you know, Christ came and slowly, methodically, God's kingdom has been expanding. God, the Lord does not seem to be in a rush. He doesn't seem anxious about all the obstacles that have come against his kingdom, and his purposes are just gradually moving forward. And all of us in varying ways can say, I see that in my own life. Uh, there have definitely been times when I've thought, Lord, what are you doing? What path are we going down now? And waiting on the Lord means calmly letting the Lord's purposes unfold in our lives. And usually the purposes he has are not the story that we had written in our mind that we had for our own lives. He has a different story, and we don't know what it is. And so waiting means trusting him in the story that's unfolding. And um, and so, uh, today we're going to focus on that topic of waiting on the Lord. What, what does this passage have to teach us about that theme? And I want to point out for us four insights from this passage. And this is what they are. Waiting looks to God's Word. Waiting endures hardship and disappointment. Waiting leans on trusted friends. And waiting trusts in the sovereignty of God. Four themes that we see in this passage about waiting. That waiting looks to God's words, God's promises, God's commands as what to do in the, in the now as we wait. 
Waiting endures hardship and disappointment. That's an important part. We all need to know that's going to be a part of our lives. It's going to be God has written that into our stories. And that waiting leans on trusted friends and waiting ultimately trusts in the sovereignty of God, that God has ordered all things for his glory and for our good. And so my hope is that if you are in a time of waiting right now, that these words will both encourage you and strengthen you to trust the Lord through it. So four points this morning on waiting on the Lord. And the first is this. Waiting looks to God's word. Okay, when we're in a time of waiting, we're in a wilderness, we're not sure what's happening in our lives or what path it's going to take. The thing that's unmoving, the thing that we can be sure of is God's word, and we look to God's promises, and we look to his commands. And you see how this passage begins in verse 1, how it says, Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are robbing the threshing floors. So this is interesting uh, because uh, Kela, it was a town that was near the border with the Philistines. And the Philistines are kind of a perennial enemy of the, of the Israelites. And uh, the message, there's this message that comes that uh, the Philistines have been raiding the, the people of this village of, of Kela, And the message comes to David. And you say, well, why does the message come to David? Well, it's because David's been anointed the true king. And even though he's not on the throne yet as the king, he still has the calling to do what kings are supposed to do. And what are kings supposed to do for their people? Protect their people. And so they say, go protect the people who are being raided by the Philistines. And so even as David is in a time of waiting, what does he do? He obeys God's words. Look at verse 2 there. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. And so waiting looks to God's words and obeys his commands that he gives to us during the time of waiting. And basically what the Lord is saying is while you're waiting to become, go and start acting like a king even before I put you on the throne. Start acting like a king and go save these people. And I think that's kind of good advice in general that, uh, you know, if you want to be something in life and you're waiting for the Lord to open an opportunity for it, start being that thing now. You know, like if you, for example, if you wanted to be a leader in the church, you say, that's my desire. I want to serve in the church. I'd like to be a leader in the church. And the Lord hasn't opened that opportunity for me. Well, start acting like a leader now. You know, go talk, learn about the people in the congregation. Hear about their stories. Ask them about their lives. Pray for them. Encourage them. Study God's Word. Study theology. Do the things that a church leader would do before the Lord puts you in that position. Or if, you're, if you want to be a writer, or you want to be an artist, or you want to be a musician, whatever it is, what are the ways that those things that I, you know, I don't have an opportunity to do that yet, how can you start doing that now before the Lord opens the opportunity? I remember my old uh, pastor when I was in college, Earl Palmer, at University Presbyterian in, in Seattle. He used to say, you can't steer a parked car. If a car's not moving, if it's not doing anything, you can't lead its direction. If you're waiting for God to open doors for your life, start doing something and start moving. And if you're moving, then God will begin to steer the direction of the moving car. Now, I imagine some of you say, okay, yeah, it would be easy to wait on the Lord. If God spoke to me the way that he spoke to David in this passage, God's just like telling David what to go do. And I wish God would just tell me what to go do, and then I would go do it. Well, not necessarily, because even in this passage, David's men have been told by the Lord what to do. And what happens? 
You see in verse 3 it says, But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? There are times when people know what the Lord has commanded, and he said it to them clearly as he said it to David, but they just don't want to do it. And often the reason we don't want to do what the Lord's clearly commanded is out of fear. But again, David turns to the God's word in verse 4. It says, Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hands. Often when people don't do anything, because they're saying, well, you know, I want the Lord to just tell me what to do and make it clear. Show me what the future is, and then I'll go do it. That sounds pious, like I'm trusting God. But often it's actually a way of not trusting God. Because what we're basically saying is I want the Lord to show me what the future is. And then I can feel certainty. I can feel in control. I can feel confidence. And now I actually don't need to trust God because I just can go into the future knowing exactly what's going to happen. And uh, when the Lord wants us to trust him, off, it means that we don't know what the future looks like. And we walk into the future trusting in his goodness. And as we are waiting, there are some things that God has clearly told us to do. The Bible is, you know, you might say, well, God hasn't said to me clearly, like he said to David, what to do. He's told us a lot of things, what to do in his word. And we can be certain of these things. So while you're waiting, make sure that the things that God has clearly said, that those things we respond to with obedience. And what are those? Worship God. You know, be in church. Go to church. Worship him. Every Sunday, I need to appear before him and hear his word and come to his table and receive his grace. I need his grace in my life. Become a member of a church. Serve in the church. You know, the Bible says to eat with the people in the church. That means, you know, you join a home group. That's where people in the church, they eat together and they get together and talk about God's word. Tithe. Develop a daily pattern of Bible reading and prayer. Confess your sins. You know, if you're waiting for the Lord and you say, well, I'm waiting for the Lord to open a door, but there's some things that are hidden in a closet that I haven't really talked to anyone else that's really affecting my life. I need to bring those things out of the darkness into the light. I need to find a mature person, you know, a man or woman, that I need to talk to and say, there are things that are happening in my life. I need to tell them to you. I need to bring them out of the darkness into the light. We're commanded to do that. And if you're saying, I'm waiting for the Lord to open doors for me and to put, you know, to fulfill his purposes, but these basic things of the Christian life I haven't done, then we're not actually following his word. Whatever job you have now, do it with excellence. Maybe you're saying, I wish God would give me a new job or a new opportunity. What is the work that he's put before you? He's commanded us to be dependable employees and to be helpful to our bosses. If you're a husband, love your wife, sacrifice for her, provide for her and cherish her. If you are a wife, submit to your husband. Treat, talk about him with respect. Show him honor. If you are a child, obey your parents. These are the basic things that God has commanded us to do. And we obey God's word while we wait on him. And so first, waiting is not doing nothing. Waiting looks to God's word, trusts his promises, and obeys his commands in the now. Now, one thing that will happen is when you hear that and you say, oh, okay, so I get what you're saying, is that if I obey God's commands, I have all these dreams for my future, these things that I want to have happen, and purposes I want fulfilled, and if I obey the commands, then the purposes will come about, and I'll get the thing that I wanted, that God, if he really loves me, he would give those things to me. Well, uh, it, it, 
doesn't always turn out that way. And, and some of you may even be here this morning and say, you know, I feel angry because I had these things that I prayed to God and I said I wanted these things and I obeyed and I did the things that you said and I trusted your word and he hasn't given them to me. God never said he was going to give those things to us. And even in the case of David, David's obedience in this passage doesn't just lead to everything being roses for him. And so that leads to our second point, okay? So the first thing is that waiting looks to God's word, okay? Trusts his promises, obeys his commands. But the second thing we do about waiting is that waiting endures hardship and disappointment. This life is going to have many disappointments in it. That's just important information about being human is we should expect that. And what happens when David obeys the Lord in this passage? Well, you see in verse 5 how it says, And David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. So David wins the battle. And you would think, well, okay, David's acting like a king. He goes and he protects these people. And uh, because the Lord told him to, he's doing it in obedience to God. And it would only make sense that these people would respond and give David their allegiance and say, David, all right, you're our king. And now we're going to follow you and we're on your side and we're going to help you. Well, that's not what happens in this story. You see what verse 7 says. Now it was told David, Saul that David had come to Calah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand. For he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. And so David might be thinking, I obeyed the Lord. I'm acting like a king, and I just put myself in a trap where now Saul's going to come and he's going to kill me. So now I'm in a worse situation. And then, not only that, uh, it's not only that Saul's going to come to him, but it goes on in verse 9, and it says, And David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Now, the ephod was, was a go- part of the garments of the priests in the Old Testament, and it was one of the only ways that the Israelites could kind of discern what God's will was, whether they should do something or not do something, it was called the Urim and the Thummim. They would use the ephod to kind of discern that. And it says, Then, uh, then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And then David said, Will the men of Calah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. The people of Calah have just been rescued by David, and these cowards are going to turn him over to Saul. And he just protected them, and they're not now going to protect him. And what it seems like God was doing is not what God was doing. And this kind of thing happens all the time in life. We think it's clear this is what God's doing, and that isn't what he was doing. Waiting always involves hardship and disappointment. And maybe you're in a season right now where you feel, this is not how my story was supposed to go. I, had a, I saw how my story is supposed to go, and, uh, and I had a plan for my life, and what's happening right now was not a part of that plan. Well, I'll tell you that does not mean that what you're experiencing is not the Lord's purposes. In fact, God is often most glorified in us 
when we trust Him through hardship and disappointment. And so He appoints such things for our lives. This is an important truth that God is often most glorified in us when we trust Him through hardship and disappointment. And so He appoints those hardships and disappointments for our lives. And this is such an important fact about life that we all have to embrace because in some ways, it's not only that we're going to have seasons of hardship and disappointment, but the Christian life is basically one big season of waiting. It's basically what the whole, your whole life is because we live under a curse. We, live, we have to deal daily with our own sin. We have to daily deal with other people's sins. We have to deal with sickness. We have to deal with all the curses of the fall, the brokenness of the world, the evil of the world around us. All those things we're immersed in for our whole life. And what sin promises is a temporary relief from the hardship and disappointment of this fallen world. And so basically what a righteous life is, is a willingness to wait is I will wait through this. I will wait through the hardship. I will wait through the disappointment. I won't take what sin is offering me. And I know for certain that there is a day coming where I will be free one day from all disappointment. That day is coming. And we will all experience some relief and blessing in this life, but ultimately relief is not until the life to come. And so what does waiting look like? Waiting At first, we look to God's word. We trust his promises. We we obey his commands while we're waiting. And waiting also endures hardship and disappointment. In some ways, our whole life is, is one big waiting. <laughs> and so you might think, well, that's a pretty bleak <laughs> vision for the life ahead that I'm just waiting through hardship and disappointment through my whole life. Well, I will tell you, God gives mercies in this life also. And Probably the biggest mercy that he gives us during seasons of hardship and disappointment is people. People are the great, God's great gift to us and uh, who encourage us and who give us strength to keep on going. And so that, that's our third point is that waiting leans on trusted friends. Waiting looks to God's word. Waiting endures hardship and disappointment. And third, waiting leans on trusted friends. And you see what happens right at this moment of disappointment. David's, you know, he goes and saves these people. They surrender him. And Saul is hunting him down. David's in the wilderness. And you see what it says there in verse 15. And David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of 1 Samuel, Jonathan's one of the, the most important characters. He's Saul, the king's son, but he's David's best friend. And, you know, they've been to all kinds of battles together, and so they have all these tight bonds of military, and it's, it's some of the most beautiful descriptions of friendship in the whole Bible are with, with David and Jonathan. And he's a good friend. You know, he knows that David's in the wilderness. He knows what David's facing, the discouragement he's facing, Things don't seem to be going right for David. And it says he rose up and he went to him and he strengthened his hand in God. It's like he knows. He says, I know what my brother needs to hear. So I'm going to go to him and I'm going to say it to him. When you know that someone is in the wilderness, you need to go to them. 
That's what a trusted friend does. Go to them and say to them the words that they need to hear in the wilderness. And the other side of that is when someone comes to you to encourage you when you're in the wilderness, receive what they have to say. You need them. And you see what Jonathan says to David. It says in verse 17, And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. So basically Jonathan is repeating to David God's promises. This is what the Lord has promised to do, and you should not be afraid. Stand firm. Stay the course. Trust in God. Now I'll tell you, in our generation... Many people would not receive this kind of encouragement that Jonathan's giving him. You know, if we're in a wilderness and we're feeling disappointment, we're feeling discouraged, we're having to wait on the Lord, and someone comes and tells us the promises of God and says, you should not be afraid, this is what God's promises are, you should stand on God's promises, how would we respond to that? I think many people would say, you know, well, don't try to slap a Bible verse onto my disappointment and hardship that I'm experiencing. I just want you to empathize. Just listen to me and empathize with me and feel what I'm feeling. Don't try to fix this with a Bible verse. And, you know, there's some truth in that, right? I mean, you know how it is. If, if It is possible to slap a Bible verse on someone's suffering because it's a way like, I don't really know what to do with this, so I'm just going to put a Bible verse on it. It's a way for us to avoid having to weep with those who weep. And, you know, Proverbs says, uh, um, he who gives an answer before he he hears it is his folly and shame. So, you know, if we don't listen to people and hear what they're experiencing and, you know, carry their burdens with them and know what those burdens are, then yes, absolutely, that we're not really caring for them the way that the Lord cares for them. I mean, think of how much the Lord listens to the burdens of his people. He just prays, people praying, billions of people praying to him all the time. That's what the Lord does is he listens. But there's also the opposite error is to assume that ultimately what we all need is empathy. And that that's all we need is just someone to listen to us. Empathy is a comfort to us. But at the end of the day, for someone to patiently wait through the Lord, they need God's promises. They need God's truth. Because my wife will remind me of this sometimes, you know, where we're talking to someone. I, I tend, because of some of my background, I tend to I'll listen and listen and listen. And we'll, you know, listen to something that someone's going through. And my wife will be like, you need to say something. <laughs> they want you to say something. Like, give them some hope. Give them some truth. Give them something to grab onto that's solid. It's not just enough to listen. We need both of those things. Someone who cares about us and then will speak to us what is true. And what are we going to be led to when we speak to one another? Well, you know, in this passage, you could, you could look at the question, who is ultimately the Jonathan in our lives? The friend who comes to us in the wilderness, who knows us, to strengthen our hand in God? Look at verse 18. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Who's the one who's made a covenant with us and said, I bound myself to you. I'm going to be there for you. I've made a covenant with my blood with you. Who's the one who says, this is the new covenant in my blood? It is Jesus. He is the greater Jonathan. He is the friend who knows each one of us. And when you are in the wilderness, Jesus has a way of both saying things that are profoundly comforting. You know, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and you are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. I'm gentle, and I'm lowly in heart, and I'll give rest to your souls. I mean, it's incredibly cherished words by Christians throughout history. But also, Jesus says profoundly challenging things. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation, and you should be of good cheer. You need to cheer up because I've overcome the world. I mean, that's a challenging world. Cheer up in the midst of your tribulation. Jesus comforts us and challenges us. And so waiting means leaning on trusted friends. And the most important of these trusted friends is Jesus himself. Okay, so three important insights so far. Waiting looks to God's word. Waiting endures hardship and disappointment. But this life is not only about hardship. The main blessing that God puts in our lives is people. And so waiting leans on trusted friends and Christ himself above all. But there's one more insight I want to point out from this passage. Is that waiting trusts in the sovereignty of God. Waiting trusts in the sovereignty of God. And so David, you know, he's gone into hiding, into this wilderness, the wilderness of Ziph. And then it turns out that the people in that area have also want to surrender him over to Saul. And we're going to give you over to Saul too. So he's got another group of people who are going to hand him over. And so Saul sends out scouts to find David. And, you know, at first Samuel was like an action movie. This would be the scene where Jason Bourne, you know, has no way out. His enemies have totally surrounded him. And as the viewer, you're thinking, I, there's no escape. I don't see any escape. How, how you can get out of this one? And that's what it's saying there in verse 26, where it says, Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain, and David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. And this is uh, one of the main experiences of waiting. When you're waiting, you can't see the future. And there's situations where you just say, I, I don't see any way, I see where this story is, I don't see any way out of this. This, this just only ends badly. And, uh, and this is one of the ways that we most desire to be like God is we want to know the, f- the future for certain. And the Lord hides the future from us. And, but it is one of the great promises of God's sovereignty that God has given great care to the details of your life. The details of the things that you're facing, God has thought about them. He has, cares about them. He's paying attention to them right now. And someone might say, you know, my whole life has been hardship. And the relief from God has never come. And you know that is not true, that there's never been relief. It's true that some people's lives are harder than others. And in fact, some people's lives are way harder than others. But all lives are sprinkled with God's good gifts. Just to even exist is such a gift to be a human being and to be a creature that you live and you breathe and, and to know God's grace in our lives, to be a part of a church is a huge gift, to be able to work and have skills. And I actually have work that I can make money and I can provide for my family, provide for myself, to be able to serve and love others and to eat and to be clothed and to just look at the sky and the mountain on a beautiful day like this, to have talents. But even beyond all these good gifts, there is the great promise of God's sovereign providence. Providence is the truth that everything that happens in this world has ultimately been ordered by God. God is not the author of evil. He is only good, but he takes the evil that pours out of human hearts and he orders it so that it ultimately ends up serving his purposes. It's one of the great truths of the scriptures. 
And the heart that is waiting is the heart that trusts in God's sovereignty and says, Lord, you are sovereign and I trust you. And in this story, David is surrounded. And what happens in the last minute when David is surrounded? There's no way out. He's Jason Bourne with the enemies all around him. And then verse 27, it says, A messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. And so Saul returned from pursuing after David and went out against the Philistines. Out of nowhere, a messenger comes and pulls Saul away, and he's rescued. And many of us have things in our lives where we're like, I had no idea how this problem was going to get solved. And out of nowhere, someone came, or someone helped me, or a new opportunity that, you know, a new job opened. I didn't even think of that. And there were all these things that I had no idea were even a possibility. God opens the possibility. There are countless things that we don't even know are possibilities. And this passage ends in verse 29. It says, And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. En Gedi was an oasis. In the rocky heights overlooking the Dead Sea, it was a place of safety and water and vegetation. If you are waiting now in Christ, there is an En Gedi waiting for you. It's both the En Gedi of, of heaven itself that we will enter into glory, no more disappointment, no more hardship, but even now as we look to God's word, as we endure hardship and disappointment and we lean on trusted friends, the sovereign Lord sprinkles into our lives little and Gettys. And so friends, this morning I give you this call to wait on the Lord. And over and over again you will find these little oases, these little pools that God puts in your life to see you through the wilderness. And at the end, that you will find that all of God's promises prove true. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. And you know, Lord, all of the, the hardships and disappointments that are present in this room. You know intimately the ways that you are calling each one of us to wait on you. You know the things, places where we cannot see the future. We're not sure the path that you have laid down for us. And so, Lord, we pray that your promises would be a comfort and a hope to us. And I pray that you would give uh, each soul present here strength to trust you, give each soul grace, and that they would find that your grace is sufficient in our weakness. And so, Lord, help us to worship you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is our true and dear friend. It's in his name we pray. Amen.